the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 18th, 2022. I was scolded in an email from a college professor yesterday to take the most extreme outliers of statements and actions from the left and extrapolate them to paint the entire movement and the Democratic Party. Well, my first thought is I don't do that. But Nancy Pelosi and the DNC certainly do it all the time. The head of the DNC, Jamie Harrison, this year said the entire Republican Party is a party of fascism. Nancy Pelosi had the option to not endorse Ilan Omar or Rashida Tlaib or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, could have sat out their reelections or endorsed their primary opponents to show and say the Democratic Party will not flirt with bigotry or socialism. Pelosi didn't. She endorsed and spent money on those three's reelections. Of course, each side has its extremes. The difference is what used to be considered extreme, I don't know, like socialism, like anti-white or anti-Jewish bigotry or racial bigotry of any kind, like anti-Americanism. All of these things have moved comfortably within the main ranks of the Democratic Party. Who was the runner-up and near nominee of the Democratic Party's presidential primary in 2020, getting crowds like no one else? What party's conventions struggle and debate the use of under God in the Pledge of Allegiance? What administration, hint, this one, issued an executive order making it illegal for public schools not to allow transgender boys to compete in girls' sports and from the federal government mandates that self-identified girls who were born boys can freely and legally go into and use girls' bathrooms? What party pushes critical race theory in schools? What party says parents do not have a say in the curriculum of their children's education? What administration issued orders for local law enforcement to work with federal law enforcement to investigate parents who speak against these things at open school board meetings? Hint, this one. And what party will fight for this country and what party will not? What party has spent years telling the world this country was ill-founded and survives and nourishes itself on systemic racism? What party endorsed violent protests in 2020, renamed them mostly peaceful, and had Senators Kuhn Vice Presidents appeal for money to bail out those rioters? What party has a Speaker of the House who, when asked about a riot in Baltimore, said people will do what people will do? Hint, the same Speaker of the House that visibly and physically shredded a State of the Union address on national and international television, thinking that was clever and okay. Ideally, you get the point. No need to look for asterisks and red herrings. The herrings are the main fare of the Democratic Party, and the asterisks are its new epigraphs. What gets me to our current crisis and what in a normal world would be a story of the year is that two weeks ago, A new poll came out from Quinnipiac University. I'll give it to you straight as they report on the last question they asked. Here it is. Quote, as the world witnesses what is happening to Ukraine, 
Americans were asked what they would do if they were in the same position as Ukrainians are now. Stay and fight or leave the country. Republicans, 68 to 25 percent, and independents, 57 to 36 percent, say they would stay and fight. While Democrats say 52 to 40 percent, they would leave the country. Got it? A majority of Democrats would not fight for this country and would even flee it. Here's the dipstick of overall measurement. A vast majority of Americans would stay and fight for this country if there were no Democrats here. Now, this really should not be surprising. As I was ironing uh, out yesterday and intoning yesterday, I'm in favor of eliminating wow and can you believe this from our subject lines and responses to articles and stories in our in our in our emails and texts and tweets and phone calls and replace them with phrases like our ongoing crisis or further annals in the failing index of leading cultural indicators or in our ongoing decline. My point in the words of the most popular Democrat in 2020 and 2021, this country was never that great, is what they think. So you take a party whose stock in trade is to continually denounce this country as ill-founded or founded in evil, who continually claim we have implicit bias and the country is systemically racist as a result and that the opposing party is fascist and racist. You wonder why that party wouldn't defend or fight for this country? Hell of a recruitment tool, isn't it? Hey, stay and fight and defend this evil place. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the gildings be fruitful. Take a moment to recall that the leader of the most advancing and suffusing educational curriculum at the moment, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project, wrote she was proud to take down the American flag from the front yard of her World War II veteran father who put it up. Bill Bennett put it well. The problem is not that Americans are unpatriotic. The problem is that those who are unpatriotic are culturally the most influential among us. And ultimately, that seeps in and down to the rest of the culture, first as a rivulet and then, if unanswered or unaddressed, as a stream and then a flood. We need a Roosevelt Dam to stop it and begin the repair. But here we are in a debate in this country, not about going to war for America, but America going to war against Russia or even some days possibly China. I would submit it is impossibly dangerous for a country that doesn't believe in itself or its cause to go to war against a country that does, which is where we are. Barry Weiss gets at some of this in a recent column. She writes with marvel at Vladimir Zelensky's Kishkis. And whatever you say or think of him wonders if we still have the same. We are not in an actual war, she writes. I pray we never are, but that doesn't mean we aren't in an ideological one. We are and have been for a while now. And it is one that we, heirs to the Enlightenment and the American experiment, are losing very badly. We are losing because we are unserious. We say, I am a brand, follow me, like me. Zelensky says, I am not iconic. Ukraine is iconic. We ask, is America ill-gotten? Zelensky says, Ukraine is mine. We say words put us in danger. Zelensky says, I will never surrender. We LARP on Twitter and work hard to get people fired for bad Halloween costumes. Ukrainians line up for guns and say, I want to defend what I love. 
We take down statues of our founding fathers, of Lincoln, Washington, Jefferson. They say glory to Ukraine. We say there is no real truth, only power. They say might does not make right. We say anyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi, which, by the way, is exactly what Putin said to justify his invasion. Our military puts out recruitment videos featuring gay weddings and military manuals on how transgendered members of the military should be bunked with the gender of their choice. Our enemies put out recruitment videos highlighting the martial virtues. We teach our citizens via federalized medical mandates to be afraid of our children. We teach our citizens via shame and high cultural elitism that it is more patriotic not to stand for the national anthem than to stand for it. And we punish, or the NBA punishes, anyone who stands or speaks against communism and on behalf of the free who are afraid of communism. Who then, we may ask, would be fighting for? And what would we be fighting for? I'll let Barry Weiss close this out in addressing independents and conservatives who are having a hard time with going in further for Ukraine. She writes, the founders may not have been able to imagine the Internet, but they surely could have understood the danger of a centralized force that had the power to determine what people could say and what they couldn't. They would have called that tyranny. If you want to understand why some people have been so cynical about this war, why they almost seem to be rooting for Putin, this is one of the major reasons why it is because many Americans notice that the most powerful forces in America are exhibiting the kind of behavior we expect from countries like Russia, and that they aren't being opposed by those who claim to be our moral betters. Instead, they are being cheered on. They see American companies toying with our freedom of conscience and free expression, and they wonder, sorry, which country has the problem with totalitarianism? Which country has a social credit system? They see an elite that has lied to them about peaceful protests and Russiagate and masks and school closures. An attorney general who suggests parents who stood up for kids were domestic terrorists. A CDC that covered up science. A president that abandoned our allies in Afghanistan. A White House right now that is pouring one out for Ukraine while using Moscow to negotiate a deal with Iran. An administration that opposes fracking and nuclear power while buying gas from despots. They see an elite that says... That words are violence, but violence, in reality, when we call it out, is merely a hallucination. That leaps from hashtag to hashtag, from BLM to vaccine mandates, and they think, nope, I'm out. They think the smart bet is to be against that. Folks, this is recoverable, but think about how fast it all came. The recovery movement must move faster here while the cement is still wet, because it is becoming, well, hardened cement. And once it concretizes, we will all be the weaker, and sadly, from our own hands and brains. If destruction be our lot, we will be its author and finisher. That was Lincoln. Here's Bill Buckley, as far back as 1959. I think America is in danger of losing her identity, not on account of the orthodoxy that we are being told in some quarters threatens to suffocate us, but for failure to nourish any orthodoxy at all. I think the attenuation of the early principles of this country has made America vulnerable to the most opportunistic ideology of the day, the strange and complex ideology that is modern liberalism. And now, even that is the rarest of species, having yielded to the much more energizing and animating hard-headed ideology of leftism. 
The question of this generation, I think, is what do we have to fight it with? I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. You've heard me quote the opening of that great uh, HBO series, Chernobyl, the scientist, uh, the leading scientist who detected the uh, nuclear problems that led to the meltdown, saying, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that we hear enough lies. We'll no longer recognize the truth at all. Are you following what's taken place with the story you may have forgotten about? which was Hunter Biden's laptop. You following what's going on there? You following what's going on? Um, let me uh, let me give it to you. Uh, there's any number of ways to do it. Let me give it to you from Jordan Boyd. Uh, she has a pretty good take on it. Big tech, the corrupt corporate media and Democrats thro- throttled the completely legitimate Hunter Biden laptop story one month before the November 2020 election by lying that the reporting was Russian disinformation. Boy, was that true. Boy, was that true. I mean, you had James Clapper and people on CNN. You had Joe Biden aping James Clapper and saying this has all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. Now, in a year and a half after a mere mention of the story got you nuked from the Internet by power hungry tech oligarchs. And with Joe Biden safely in office, the propaganda press is quietly admitting what conservative media immediately verified. The story was true and legitimate all along. The president's son did abandon his laptop, which contained a treasure trove of damning and compromising information about Hunter Biden's sketchy foreign business dealings and their connection to the now president. Yesterday, the New York Times stealthily admitted in paragraph 27 of their story, but there it was, in an understated article focused on a federal investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes that the laptop story was legitimate and that he was under scrutiny for shady relationships with Chinese and Ukrainian energy companies, which might have violated foreign lobbying and money laundering rules. The quiet confession that the laptop was real and not actually Russian disinformation, as many Joe Biden advocates claimed without evidence at the time, was buried in the article. You want me to give you the pullout from paragraph 27? Here it is. Investigators have examined Mr. Biden's relationship with interests in Kazakhstan, a Chinese energy conglomerate, and Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company, according to people familiar with the investigation. They said prosecutors had investigated payments and gifts Mr. Biden or his associates had received from foreign interests, including a vehicle paid for using funds from a company associated with a Kazakh oligarch and a diamond from a Chinese energy tycoon. Prosecutors also sought documents related to corporate entities through which Mr. Biden and his associated and his associates conducted business with interests around the world. The New York Post first reported in October 2020 that a smoking gun email discovered on an abandoned laptop demonstrated how Hunter Biden introduced Ukrainian businessman VP to dad. The news had devastating enough, was devastating enough to hurt Joe Biden's chances to topple former President Donald Trump. So the corrupt elites who control our nation's stream of information banded together to ban the story as misinformation that deserved to be censored and suppressed. Indeed, the New York Post's Twitter account was suppressed for two weeks. Two weeks. 
Shortly after the Post broke the news, Politico rushed to publish a letter signed by dozens of former intelligence heads from the CIA, Department of Defense, National Security Agency, and more, smearing the laptop story as, quote, Russian disinformation, close quote. These so-called experts admitted that they had never seen the laptop, nor that they had any evidence to suggest that their Russia, Russia, Russia theory was accurate. But the letter quickly became the basis for the left to wage a censorship war on anyone and everyone who amplified the Hunter corruption narrative. Even when current intelligence leaders confirmed that there was never any evidence that the Hunter laptop story was disinformation, Democrats kept spreading the lies to destroy their ideological opponents. This also, by the way, isn't just about lefties. Jonah Goldberg tweeted as much as well. I can go on and on with this, but let me just give you, I think, what the most important element of this is. The media colluded to suppress another media outlet's story. That other outlet was the New York Post, a newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton. Okay, that's problem one. The media colluded to censor and stop the circulation of a fellow newspaper's story. That's not the most important part, but I think it's pretty dang important. Here's the most important part. Surveys done in nine swing states, including all the states that were alleged to have had election irregularities, were done by the Media Research Research Center, and they found that 45.1% of Biden voters said they never heard of the laptop story. 45%, this is a week after the election, 45.1% of Biden voters said they were unaware of the laptop story. Okay, that's interesting, but that's not the most interesting the most interesting is the conclusion they reached in the up in the follow-up question. According to the poll, awareness of the Hunter Biden scandal, Hunter Biden scandal would have led 9.4% of Biden voters to abandon the Democratic candidate. Flipping all six of the swing states, Biden won to Trump, giving the president, Donald Trump, the necessary electoral votes needed to win re-election. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. You can work the technical angles of election irregularities, but this one, the media interference in the election, is right there, front and center. They colluded to suppress a legitimate news story, lie about it, and they changed an election. little Irish music there for St. Patrick's Day, right? Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. We got you covered on that front, trust me. Don't worry, we got you covered. And uh, happy St. Patrick's Day uh, while we're at it. Happy Purim while we're at it. Uh, on that issue of the Hunter Biden uh, laptop story that was suppressed and the suppression of which altered the election, let's not forget it, Suppression of which all today everyone's talking about right now. The media can lie us into or propagandize us into wars as it has in the past and maybe even from time immemorial. What about when it changes an election? That to me is a f- it, it, it is right before our very eyes. It's not a far greater issue. 
but it's right before our very eyes. And it affects it affects what kind of wars we will fight. It affects the kinds of wars we will fight. Bill Maher asked the uh, over the weekend, he said uh, to one of his guests, I think it's worth worth asking the question why Vladimir Putin didn't invade Ukraine on Donald Trump's watch. That's right. It is worth asking that question. We know the answers to it, as did Bill Maher when he asked it. So, yeah, if you don't like media propagandizing us into war, that war can only be pulled by the trigger of the president, the authority of the president. And um, the media suppression of the Hunter Biden story gave us, in part, a lot of things did, but that alone could have just, that alone, that suppression alone could have given us, in fact, as the polling shows, did give us this president. Think about that. Think about that. Over 9% of Biden voters would have changed their vote if they had known of the Hunter Biden story. That's a monumental thing when you think of the percentages by which Joe Biden beat Donald Trump, even in an election of high irregularity. Our good friend Bacha Unger Sargon, who I think also was on Bill Maher's show this past weekend. I haven't seen it, but I think she was. She tweets, we're in this cycle where stuff ordinary Americans know is true. COVID is endemic. Lockdowns hurt the most vulnerable. Hunter lost his laptop is vociferously denied by politicians and journalists and censored by big tech. And when the truth comes out, the elites change the subject. No admission that they got it wrong, no analysis of why, no discussion of how they demonized and silenced people who turned out to be right. Just gaslighting and distraction and a new topic for everyone to dance in lockstep to. It's okay to be wrong. Everyone gets stuff wrong. But if you never admit it, never explain how you're going to do better next time, why would anyone ever trust you again? This is really the point Vaclav Havel was making in in his famous 1978 essay about forced confessions when he wrote, if the main pillar of the system is living a lie, then it is not surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth. That's why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. And boy, did they severely suppress that truth. Boy, did they. And it had wide implications for the freedom of the press and the First Amendment. I never again want to hear the New York Times or any other major corporate newspaper quote the New York Times v. Sullivan case and speaking about how it is the media's special protection and role to speak truth to power and criticize government and government officials and really anyone in public life with impunity because that is their duty when they go about themselves in mafia-like collusion to shut down a fellow newspaper that was trying to do exactly that. That's what they did to the New York Post. It's exactly what they did to the New York Post. And it should have everyone quaking, not with fear. The time for fear is over and we have no reason to be afraid right now. But quaking with anger. That is the right response right now. Anger. Will, J- will, will James Clapper apologize? Will CNN? Oh, wait till I show you what NPR did. 
602-5080-960. As we go to break, put in a word for our friends at Balance of Nature. They're fruits and veggies that I take every day and that have kept me well for the three years. I've been taking them every single day. It's whole food nutrition, pure, potent plant power. That's all it is. It's the only whole food supplement with no additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in it is pure fruits and vegetables, including the capsule that comes in. If you don't like swallowing it, you can easily open it and sprinkle it onto food or into drink. Some people even chew them. 100% natural fruits and veggies from Balance of Nature. Check it out at balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. What do I do next? Rick is in Phoenix. I'll go to Rick. Hi, Rick. Hello there, Seth. Our man Frank. How are you? Yes, our man Frank. Perfect for uh, perfect for uh, St. Patrick's Day, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Why, why, absolutely. why, would, why would I say that? I'll tell you an embarrassing story. You want an embarrassing story? Uh, always, Seth, always. It's a really embarrassing story. I've never told it in public. Should I do Uh-oh. it? Yeah, I'll do yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. All right. I'll, I'll keep it secret. All right. It was my... F- <laughs> All right. I grew up knowing a fair amount about Protestantism and Judaism, okay? Okay. Maybe even a little bit about Islam. I did not know much about Catholicism. I just didn't. I just mm-hmm. didn't, for whatever reason. It's my first day on the job working for William J. Bennett. My very first day, okay? (laughs) Yeah, it gets better. It gets better. The Washington Post calls, uh, and it's a reporter doing a profile of him for some reason or another, and they needed to check a few biographical facts on Dr. Bennett, and uh, I was his chief of staff, so they put it through to me to answer. And the first question is, uh, Seth, we have it here. I just wanted to double check that uh, Bill is a Roman Catholic. Is that correct? Okay, everyone, hold on to your seats. I said, (laughs) you know, I need to double check. I think he might be an Irish Catholic. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better or worse. It gets better or worse. I go down to his office, and I knock on his door and go in. Again, this is my first day. And I say, Dr. Bennett, um, and, I, and I recite this to him, and I say, and I said, I think you might be. I, I, so I don't know. Are you a Roman Catholic or an Irish Catholic? I, I can just go right back and tell him. He has an executive assistant of many years, um, still does, named Noreen. And he, he, he doesn't even look at me. He just yells at the top of his lungs, Noreen, fire this man. <laughs> and then he hired a priest to come in on, weekly, on a weekly basis and teach me for a year about the Catholic religion to get me up to speed. Oh, my goodness. Why is that relevant? Because Frank Sinatra is actually Italian, but of course, of course, given all the heritage and everything, would be claimed, of course, with his uh, his Irish mother and all that. Anyway, I've never right. told that story in public. I, I hope it gets a little chuckle. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. That, that reminds me I ended me up of a- learning an awfully great deal about the Catholic faith that way, by the yeah, way. Yeah, there you so go. That, it shows you. Loss is a great teacher. 
Failure. Failure is a great teacher. There it was. My failure (laughs) (laughs) turned into a lot of learning. Okay. That's right. Right. That reminds me of, you know what you call a, a bunch of nuns that are just wandering around aimlessly? No. Roman Catholics. You call, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> terrible. Fair terrible. enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that enlightening story Well, with we're me, friends. Beth. I thought I could share it with you. If anyone else was eavesdropping, no harm, no foul. That's right. That's right. You know, confession is good for the soul. Evidently. Yeah, and now that's that what I learned. Confess, that's what I learned. Yeah, I will put it in the lockbox and throw away the key. You got it, baby. There you go. <laughs> okay, Seth. On a more serious note, y- yes, sir. Your, your show today has been outstanding. It's been excellent. The things that you uh, talked about in your monologue and the things you've been discussing. Thank you so much for bringing them to light and for. Uh, shedding the light on them and talking about them and reminding us of them. Uh, Very important things. And I've been wondering about, you know, I I may have been one or there may have been several that asked you the other day, you know, how could Putin do the things he is doing? Oh, okay. And it occurs to me that I believe it was uh, your uh, uh, guest, Brandon uh, Reichert, who said a week or two ago that – uh, Putin was a uh, KGB agent, mm-hmm. and as a KGB agent, was a student of human nature and understanding the the reason for humans uh, doing what they do. And so it occurs to me that he's just been he has been watching us, and he has watched uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden. And on and on and on. And our military recruitment videos, all about, you know, right, uh, woke issues right. and gay weddings and uh, our military manuals that tell uh, that teach about transgenders and who they can bunk with. Yeah, all that. Right. Mm-hmm. But, our withdrawal from what? Afghanistan that killed 13 Americans that Joe Biden called an extraordinary success. Exactly. Yeah, all that. He's, he's watched our te- leaders and he has watched them lie shamelessly with impunity and with no accountability. Mm-hmm. And so when someone says to him, why did Russia bomb that theater with all those people in the basement? He says, we didn't do that. And I believe that's the motivation and part of the explanation behind the reason that he's acting the way he's acting. Well, I think... I I think you're right, and I think what I would add to it is is something you'll probably agree with as well, Rick. And let Uh me try it this way. Yeah, of course, it's the Bill Maher question. Why did Putin not do this on Donald Trump's watch? Right. That that really is a very important question, and, you know, I'm not one to uh, give Bill Maher an awful lot of credit because he's really late to the party, really late to the party. Yeah. And um, I saw a clip of him uh, the other day saying, "Why are we so ideologically rigorous that we can't, uh, rigid that we can't ask that question?" He's he's as bad as they come on this, you know. Right. He'll he'll say conservative things, but then condemn the Republican Party right. uh, that agrees with all the conservative things he just said. So I don't, yeah. I don't have tremendous use for him. But the simplicity of the question from a liberal is worth underscoring, and and it's the same answer. 
as to why uh, the American hostages held by Iran came back after 444 days and That's not anything right. under that. That's it's the same right. answer to that question. Yeah. But that's the half of that we're responsible for. We Americans are responsible for. There's yeah. another half to this, which is I don't I don't know. You know what? I'm going to hit a break here, and this is an important point. If you want to hang on to it, Rick, and come back with me on it. But I don't know that we Americans aren't uh, – if we aren't just too naive, if we aren't just too naive about the world – uh, you, uh, George Will used to call this the view of Pan-Americanism, where we think everyone is like us and thinks the way we do and shares the values we have. It's not true. It's just not true. Evil does lurk in every man's heart, but it's defined very differently by very many different cultures. Let's pick up on that when we come back. But what may make us cry is not what makes President Z cry. It might make him cheer. And what makes us sad is what might make Vladimir Putin happy. We better understand that right quick. We get this a lot. You know where we get this a lot? A lot in the Middle East, too. We'll come back on this. Stay with me. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Rick, are you still there, brother? Still here, brother. I want to address this, why Putin does this question. Yeah. And uh, in thinking about it over the break, maybe you gave me uh, something uh, to write about. But these are the wages, this notion that everyone has our values or shares our values or everyone is like us, this notion – uh, how did Moshe Ahrens once put it? You can see this in any number of regions, but uh, foreign, affair, uh, minister, uh, foreign Minister of Israel once put it that um, someone who was actually born in America, Moshe Ahrens once said, what people need to understand is the Middle East is not the Middle West. We don't ah. solve things over coffee and cake in the Middle East. Good way to um, put it. Yeah. So I think the these are the wages of really cultural relativism. We wanted to suppress this notion of American exceptionalism. Barack Obama himself as president said he believed in American exceptionalism just as the Greeks believed in Greek exceptionalism and the British believed in British exceptionalism, which is another version of cultural relativism. It means he doesn't right. believe in American exceptionalism. If we're, not except if we're no more exceptional than Greek or, uh, Greece or Great Britain or any other country, then we're not exceptional. Exactly. These are the ways that wages of cultural relativism where we have suppressed our exceptionalism. America was never that great, for instance, that notion, um, and that we should not, uh, should not, by comparison to other cultures or views of life or liberty or humanity, um, uh, elevate our views of them over others. You know, well, that's the way we do things here. But, you know, in Samoa, they do it a little differently. Yeah. You know, and they do it a little bit differently in um, in China and they do it a little differently in Xinjiang than they do it in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe their view of life in um, in uh, in, uh, oh, I don't know, say Baghdad is a little bit different than the view of life in, uh, say, Bisbee. Uh -huh. You know, it's a, it's it's but not we sh we shall not say one is better than the other. Right, we shall not right. do that. This is the price for denying our exceptionalism. Uh, hey, hey, ho, ho, Western Civ has got to go, they chanted at Stanford, and it went. Yeah. And it went. 
and we no longer understand the distinctions. And I think it's important to understand the distinctions that Russia was never a part of the West. And we think Putin has the same value system we have. He doesn't. He doesn't. That's the problem, Rick. Excellent point. We better understand evil. But to understand evil, you have to understand good. And to understand good in international relations, you better understand what country represents it and what country doesn't. And that requires you to kind of like your own country and believe in it. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.